Welcome to the Pure Flix Podcast, a show brought to you by PureFlix.com. PureFlix.com, the faith, family, and fun video streaming service. Get ready for uplifting news, scripture, movie reviews, and interviews with some of your favorite actors, authors, and pastors. Let's get started. Hey, what's going on? It's Billy Hollowell, and welcome to the Pure Flix Podcast. We are heading into another weekend in the middle of really what I think has been a crazy time for so many of us. And listen, I want to actually ask you guys, if you have a prayer request, if you have something that you need, we actually, if you're listening to this show on Anchor, I know a lot of you listen on Apple Podcasts and other platforms, but if you're on anchor.fm slash Podcast, you can actually leave me a voicemail. You can send a voicemail into the show, and we won't share that. But if you have prayer requests, things you want to be prayed for, I will be praying for you. I'll pass it on to our team, and we will pray for you. I want to open it up to that because I think a lot of us are facing really difficult circumstances and situations right now, and it's important for us to be there for one another. So I want to open that up. Again, go to anchor.fm slash Podcast. Click on sending a voicemail. You'll be able to send a voicemail to the show here. And also send voicemails. Let us know what you think about the show. What do you want to see? What do you want to hear? What are some of the things you're looking for in the Pure Flix podcast? This is for you guys. That's why we do this. And so I would love to hear what guests you want to hear from, what kinds of segments you want on the show. And so I just wanted to open that up to you. I also want to let you know, if you're looking for things to read and things to do, Head on over to offers.pureflix.com. There is a ton of great content over there, devotionals, things for your kids. We also have the PureFlix Insider blog. It's over at insider.pureflix.com. And we've got daily Bible verse lists, inspirational stories, a lot of content that is free over there to just get you into the, the positive mindset that I think we all really need right now. So check that out. And with that being said, I hope everyone listening is doing well. I am here in New York, and it's been a crazy time. You know, I'm just like you guys, a lot of you who have kids. I'm homeschooling my kids with my wife while I'm working, uh, and it's crazy. There's a lot going on right now for all of us, and we're all in this together, and we've got to have hope and know that there is a God there who loves us, who cares for us deeply, and we can turn to him when it feels overwhelming or when we're stressed out or if we have, I know there are job losses going on right now. There are people who are really struggling, and that may be you right now. So I just... You know, I, I opened the show up last time with a prayer, and I actually want to do that again. I want to open this show up with a prayer, so I'm just going to do that right now. I don't normally do this on the show, but I think it's incredibly important, and then we're going to dive right into the guest we have today. Dear Lord, we just thank you. We know that we have so much to be grateful for, despite the fact that so much is happening right now, and just help us to focus on those areas of gratitude, the areas where there are clear blessings you've given us, and it's so easy to look past those things when we're frustrated and stressed out and in pain, Lord. And we just ask that you would heal this country and this world, that you would stop this virus, Lord, that you would guide us to help others, to find reasonable, positive, good ways that we can be there for one another, that we can support one another, Lord. We pray for peace in a time where there isn't a lot of peace in many people's hearts. We pray for just kindness, that we would treat one another despite the frustrations, the lines at Costco and other stores, the other 
pieces of, of chaos, the other elements of chaos that we're experiencing, that you would guide us through that with grace, Lord. And we just pray for an end to this and a return to normal life and for the healing for those who are sick right now. And anybody listening who has lost a job, Lord, we just pray that you would help them to find employment, that you would sustain people who are fearful right now because they don't know where they're going to get money for basic things, Lord. And we just we know that you are there for us and that you love us deeply. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in today. And I really, I'm, I'm excited about today's guest. This is an interview that we recorded a couple of weeks ago when I was at NRB, the National Religious Broadcasters Conference. And you'll hear, uh, you'll hear me refer to that in this interview, but it's Alan Jackson. He is the senior pastor at World Outreach Church in Tennessee. And he's got a huge church and also has a new book out. He has a book out called Intentional Faith, Aligning Your Life with the Heart of God. Incredibly important, um, really incredibly important book. And so we're going to dive into his faith story. And he just, it was one of those interviews that he was so insightful. There was so much. We could have talked for two hours. And so we actually, we do talk for a little bit of time here. It's at least a half an hour. So you'll get, you'll get a good chance to learn who he is. And I asked him everything from how do we engage in politics to how do we live in intentional faith. So right now I'm going to welcome Alan Jackson to the show. And uh, again, leave that voicemail. Let us know what you want to hear on the Pure Flix podcast. How's it going today? It's wonderful. It's so, a busy day. Well, that's the thing about NRB. It, it starts out and you're like, I can manage this. This is going to be easy. And then by the end of the day, you're like, what just happened to me? This was crazy. Um, it sounded good two weeks ago when you built the schedule. <laughs> it uh, sounded good when you sign up for it. And then at the end, you're like, and then you forget. And next year you come back and you just do it all over again. Yes. So you have you have a 15,000-member church. That is incredible to me. What? So tell me about the history of the church. What, how, how did the church start? Well, I, I prefer to start with I'm a pastor, and the numbers that follow that are secondary. I love that. Church is a people initiative, and I have to think about them as one at a time or one family at a time. And um, It's a church plant. Uh, I grew up in church. We were Methodist, and when I was seven years old, my mom was diagnosed with cancer and told she had six months to live. Wow. And the pastor came to visit, and at that particular time, he didn't believe in heaven or hell. So it's possible to be in church and not be a Christ follower. I'm sure there are people in our congregation that are not, so I'm not throwing rocks at anybody. But my folks got on a plane to fly to Mayo Clinic for radical surgery, and my mom prayed a little prayer. Before I die, let me know the truth, thinking you know, that the God would say be a Jewish or Baptist or Catholic so she could tell her sons, I've got two brothers. And when they got to Mayo Clinic for the examination, they had x-ray films with all the tumors and masses. The doctors came in and said, we can't find your cancer. What? Go home and raise your babies. What? So, so what, how, when you hear, first of all, how did that happen? <laughs> I have like 10 questions right now. And the, the first one is, how did that happen? But the second is, how did she react to that? Because that's an unbelievable thing to hear when you thought your life was yeah, going to end. That's a great question. And the truth is, we, my dad was graduating from veterinary school at the University of Missouri. And we moved to Miami six weeks later for him to go to work on the thoroughbred tracks. And my mom said, I won't go back to church. If the pastors don't believe in heaven or hell, God did something for me. So it's not the normal, it's not the reaction you might have expected. And, but my dad had a Sunday school teacher that was an airline pilot, and he was born again. And my parents went by his house after church one day, and in, at, at his dining room table, 
they accepted Jesus as Lord of their lives. Oh, wow. And the temperature in the home went down so much that in about six weeks, I walked in one day and said, what happened to you all? You're just like trying to figure out who are these people. The home changed. <laughs> right. You know, it was a tense place, B.C. And so they told me, I mean, they said, you know, we asked Jesus into our hearts. And so my parents became Christians and my brothers and I became Christians. So the reaction to that really was her initial reaction was, I, I'm not, I don't have any room any longer for pretense. I'm looking for authentic. So she knew it was a miracle that she, she had experienced. She did. In fact, she, was, she, she, she tells me, I don't, she was washing dishes one day just when all this was happening, after she was healed. And she said she heard a voice that said, you asked to know the truth before you died. And she said, yes, I did. She was washing dishes. And it said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And she didn't know where it was. She went and got a Bible and found the verse in John. Wow. So if you ask me what the impact on my life today or the congregation is, I believe God can. And you can fill in the blank. God can heal a pagan because we were pagans. You know, it isn't that we earn blessings or miracles. I've had good friends that died early. You know, not every prayer I pray gets answered. Not everybody gets healed. It's not that neat and clean. Well, and that can be a toxic belief in some Christian circles that, you know, well, you just didn't pray enough. That's why you, you're dying of cancer. Or your and faith's too small. Right, yeah. Or you didn't comb your hair the right, right exactly, way. Exactly, yeah. And so I'm not suggesting that, but it doesn't drive me away from the truth. Sure. You know, people say, I don't believe in miracles. I go, you don't have to. I have one. He can do it, and he does do it, right? He does it just might do not it. always happen the way that, because there's a plan that we can't see sometimes. We'll never reduce God to a formula mm. or a cookie cutter. He's not a vending machine where you do these three things and you get this out. He is sovereign over our lives. But it brought that notion, and it's in the DNA of our congregation, that God can, not foolishness, or that God will move in the lives of people who you think are the least deserving because mm. we were the least deserving. Well, and the thing that's really crazy about your mom's story is just to kind of go back to show me the truth before I die. You've been given six months. You think you're going to die. So you're not thinking I'm going to be healed. You're thinking, show me the truth because I'm going to die, right? My life is going to end, and I want to know what the truth is. And so Absolutely. the end result of that is a healing, which you would not have expected. It's, just, it's really kind of an incredible story that she got the unexpected. Not only did she get the truth, she got time to live that truth out, and she did. that's amazing. Absolutely. And she's still here. Oh, she's uh, so, yeah, oh, wow. my parents are still wow. alive. That's amazing. So we're still chasing them around. That is amazing. I can't keep up. That's so amazing. So... What at what point? So you become a Christian. Your parents become a Christian. You and your brothers become a Christian. At what point do you think I'm going to be a pastor? <laughs> like, when does that? How does that happen? That happened reluctant. My my spiritual formation did not take place within the an organized church. You know, I knelt in the kitchen floor of my parents' home and became a Christian. I was baptized in the Atlantic Ocean. So my spiritual formation was outside of the boundaries of traditional religious establishment. So I was in college on my way to medical school. I'd want to be a doctor forever. My dad was a vet. I liked medicine. And I began to be increasingly uncomfortable with that. You know, yes, I wanted to help people, but I also wanted the salary and the prestige and the respect, the independence. And I hear God beginning to invite me towards something else. And I didn't like ministers, I, you know, because this was 40 years ago. Pastors wore black robes, and they looked like they ate green persimmons. And, <laughs> and I like to laugh. And, I'm, and have fun and be a human. Yes. Right? Yeah. And I thought, you know, I can't do that. And I was, a, I was in my junior year on my way, and I'd been pray I was trying to be a Christian. I was doing my best. I'm not, I didn't have it all together, but I was in that window. 
And I remember the day I was, it was, I was on a lunch break, and I heard in the inside of me, God say, you can go. And I knew exactly what he meant. I knew my ticket to med school just got punched, and he had signed off. And for the first time in my whole life, it frightened me because I'd never one time asked him what he had for me. And so I began very gently to say, you know, what, what do you have for me? <laughs> And uh, I was very reluctant. I didn't like church. I didn't really like Christians all that much. And I realize now it's because there wasn't that much Jesus in me. I was more comfortable with pagans because I was more pagan than I was Jesus. And you, but you bring up a good point, too, of, you know, oh, I, I was going to start to ask God. I feel like most, a lot of us, even in the church, we don't, we just do things that we want to do. We go towards something we want to do, and we don't remember to ask whether we should be doing that or not. Because there's a whole lot of famous people out there who have done what they want to do, and they're doing terrible things, some of them, um, and yet they're wealthy, they have everything they could ever want, they have fame, but yet they're completely not anywhere where they should be. And there's poor people, or people who don't have a lot of resources, who are exactly maybe where they're supposed to be. Um, and I don't want people to misunderstand what I'm saying there, but I think you understand I what I'm it. saying. And, and I think you're partially right. They're wealthy, and they have a lot of things, but they don't have everything they want. Right there's still a huge hole of discontent in there. They think they have. Money yes. and fame does not make you at peace and fulfilled. Yeah. And yeah. so I think what I heard, what I began to hear was what Jesus told us to pray. Your kingdom come and your will be done. Up until that point in my life, I wanted God to do my will. I didn't want to be blatantly immoral. I just wanted God to be busy about fulfilling my dreams. <laughs> and so what flipped was I began to very carefully, cautiously say, God, I'll do your will. And I didn't know what that meant because it certainly felt like I was forfeiting a lot of control. And it, it felt like I was stepping into the darkness. But I began a journey. And what I really learned through that was you can be as, an in, as intentional following God as I had been intentional in building a medical diagnosis. Because I knew how to do that. I'd done it since I was a little boy following around behind a vet. And when I realized that being a Christian wasn't just loving God and loving people, that there was an intentional process to that, not a formula, but there's a set of things you can engage in that will lead you towards better outcomes. And it was like you, you pulled the curtain back on a whole imagination. So now church isn't random and Christianity isn't accidental. We can actually engage in a set of behaviors to which God will respond and bring transformation to human lives, no matter how broken or how misdirected or how outcast, or how hurt. And I've seen it replicated hundreds and thousands of times in human lives. And that's really what this little book was about, was, you know, if, if you're a little dissatisfied with your faith, if it's a little stagnant, or if you've written Christianity off as being self-righteous, don't. St how long are you going to sit in the seat of the skeptic? Have the courage to stand up and say, I want a better future. If you're 200 pounds overweight, let's stop blaming McDonald's and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk a little more and eat a little more lettuce. And if your faith life is miserable, stop complaining about the church. You're right. We're messed up. But let's accept responsibility to have a relationship with the Lord that will change us. God will meet us. Well, and that's why the title, Intentional Faith, is I, I really like that, right? Because I think a lot of people 
Yeah, I've, I've been watching all. I watch the presidential debates because I'm fascinated by what people are going to say. It's like and watching a train wreck, you can't look. Away. I was just going to say, if I'm going to be honest, it's really just. It's the same reason people watch The Real Housewives. I want to be entertained by the drama. So, <laughs> I I couldn't watch it. I was on a plane and I couldn't watch the one that happened last night. But I was reading about it. And two of the candidates closed with Bible verses and as their life, you know, motto or whatever they were asked. And it was interesting to me because I would not have cho- I would not have thought that either of them would have chosen a Bible verse. And maybe that's judgmental of me, but I'm just being honest. So I, we're, right now, there seems to be the point that I'm making here, a lot of confusion about what it means to live intentional faith, what it means to be a Christian. And it seems like culture and maybe a lot of the church is buying into the lies that culture is telling. And maybe we're just all inundated with the messages, so we're just embracing them and accepting them and thinking that this is true when it's not. How do we right that ship specifically for the church? Because it's concerning that so many Christians don't seem to understand what basic theology is. That's a lot, but I'll just <laughs> throw that to you. Well, there's a menu of things there. Yes, I know. And you open the politics. So let me step in, and I'll come back to the book. If good. I was. Okay. I opened it up to see what you would do. So, okay, yeah, go. I'll, good. I'm good with it. I, you know, I'm Jesus good. told the parable about two brothers that their father gave him instructions, and one said, yes, I will, and he didn't. And one said, no, I won't, but he did. And I'm a little weary with political figures across multiple generations of hanging Bible verses around their neck when it's convenient or having a photo op in front of a church, or showing me their membership card from said congregation. But when they have power and authority, they use it to propagate an ungodly worldview. That's annoying to me. And now we we see a president who has not lived as one of us. There's no question about that. There's ample evidence. And you can see the latest newscast. You could watch an old Howard Stern episode and you would see it, yes. right? There's a lot of evidence, right? But has used his influence to take a Christian worldview. You know, I'm in Israel a lot, and I've stood in front of the, U- the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem and had my picture made. Yes, it's a tourist thing to do, but I wasn't going to miss the opportunity or to recognize the strategic importance of the Golan Heights for the security of our friends in Israel. And I've known multiple presidents that said they would do those things and never did it. Almost all of them in recent memory, right? Yes, across all party Mm -hmm. lines. So this isn't a partisan statement. So I'm standing here going with an odd sense of, wow, somebody is actually leaning into a godly biblical worldview with their influence. Is their storyboard perfect? I don't think so. We'd all like to burn a Twitter feed down. But I prefer that to saying we're going to do the right thing. Right. And I, and I think that rolls right back into what you and I are talking about, about our faith. Jesus' harshest words. Look at Matthew 23, seven statements of woe, blistering these public religious leaders because their external life is all in the right place and their internal life is so far away from God. And Jesus turns and looks to the normal people and, sa- and says, unless your righteousness exceeds these you're not going to see the kingdom of God. Mm. So pull that forward in the 21st century. I don't think sitting in church on Sunday makes you a Christ follower. No. Any more than yeah. me sitting in the gym Monday through Friday makes me an Olympic athlete. I wish that were true. Amen, were for me. brother. Yeah. <laughs> and so what do we do with faith? Yeah. I, I give you one of the things we talk about in the book, but I've lived it out in the congregation now for several years. Read your Bible. Not randomly, not casually, systematically, intentionally. Let's read through it this year. 15 minutes a day. You can read through your Bible in a year if you read slowly. You, you can't, but you, maybe you can't imagine how few people have ever done that. Oh, I can. Yeah. That say they're Christians. 
Right. Now, that's awkward. Well, it creates a cluelessness about what's in it. That's the other problem. Because And you're relying on only what... And, you know, thank God for good pastors like you. You're relying on what a pastor is telling you about it. You're not experiencing God speaking to you through it because you're not reading it. So you don't even know what's in it. And the truth is, there are days I read it and I don't understand it. <laughs> and I got a lot of education in the background. I mean, the words are hard to pronounce. The places aren't always familiar. Especially I mean, who in the names Old Testament, let's be honest, right. <laughs> He had to be in high school before he could spell his name. I mean, it doesn't mean it's an easy book. But the discipline of reading it, you discover the character of God and the attitude of God. And the Spirit of God meets you in there somewhere. I've done it with thousands of people now, and it's transformational. So the, the whole point, we did, we're building 100 Days of Faith um, to, to go along with the book. If you read the book, just go to the website, and I'll, I'll walk with you for 100 Days of Faith. Mm. So it's like I'm going to sit down with you every morning, have a cup of coffee, and say, okay, let's take day two down off the shelf of this. We can do it. It's like getting a workout partner if you're going to work, go to the gym for 30 days. It's a whole lot easier if you've got a commitment to meet somebody else to do it. And it, it is, we all know the right thing. You know, most of us want to lose five pounds. And we got some clue. I need less calories and more exercise. But we want a simple way to do it. But I want a book or a pill or an injection or a late night cream that I got off television. And we're that way with our faith. And so the book isn't dynamic in the sense that it's some breakthrough idea that I found buried under a rock in Montana. I've taken the simple truths of Scripture that I've observed as best practices in the lives of people, and I'm just saying to a new group of friends, let's go do this together. I've been doing this with people for a while now. And, and God meets you along the way, and that is so fun to watch. Now Absolutely. our faith's not some burdensome <laughs> thing I have to do for an hour on Sunday. I have to go this week. And now I look forward to God in the midst of my day. It makes my relationships better, how I do business better, how I'm hanging out with my friends better. That's exciting to me. Now, you have done some work with My Faith Votes. You've done some videos for them now, and I love them. They're great. And it's interesting right now, you know, talking about Trump and politics and where we are, there seems to be, and I keep saying I'm going to write an op-ed about this. I just haven't done it. The discussion about a vote, right, this, this importance of a vote, and you have a lot of people who are like, I'm just not, and I've said this, like at moments I've said, I'm just not going to vote. And then I voted, you know, but I don't know who could I vote for. It seems like, and I want you to disagree with me if you do, but I feel like we, we keep talking about voting as Christians as though if we vote for somebody, we've endorsed everything that person ever did, ever said. Our vote is just so important that we can't, we, I can't give that vote to that person because I'm compromising myself as a human being. I'm compromising my soul if I vote for Trump or Bernie Sanders or whoever you choose to vote for. That's to me that feels a little misplaced. You know, I I sort of feel like well, you have may have two bad options, but you choose the one that you feel like is the best, right? I just don't see a vote as that as as being tied to our faith as people. Like you know, we're gonna go to hell if we choose the wrong person. So we don't choose anybody. Does that make sense? Yes, it's too easy to argue it that way. That's a really good set of questions. And I think we have to make a distinction between elections at a local level and elections at a national level. Because local elections tend to be personal. Mm. And party affiliations are secondary. Because in a local level, you know something of the character of the person, the positions of the person. At a national level, that changes. At a national level, we have a platform for political parties. They are committed to a set of principles that they have to support or they don't have the funding to get elected. I mean, Bloomberg might be a freak of nature there. but <laughs> he's just paying for in, it all. In general, but he's still lining up with the platform and rewriting his beliefs from the past to align with that platform. 
So on a national level, you don't just vote for an individual. You're selecting a platform. And none of those national candidates are going to go upstream against those platforms very far. So your vote really is a reflection of who you are, the values you hold, and, and, and how you've prioritized them. If you tell me you're a Christ follower, and that's the predominant characteristic of your life, and you've embraced a biblical worldview, and then you give your affirmation to a platform of things that are contrary to a biblical worldview, I think you've got challenge there in reconciling mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. You know, and then we get some false flags, like I'm for helping the poor. We give billions of dollars away, trillions of dollars away to the less fortunate in our nation and internationally, no matter what party. Everybody's going to do that. How we do it may change a little. How we direct it's going to change some. But that's a given. So I think we create false flags to avoid the harsher issues around sexual morality from a biblical perspective or the sanctity of human life from a biblical perspective. Some of those things are really clear in Scripture. And you've got you to do the equivalent of some spiritual gymnastics to get around those. Mm-hmm. So I think for the Christian, there's some differences on the level of the politics you're engaged in. But when we look at it at that national level, we've got to own the biblical worldview and who does what they say. Right. If you tell me you're going to work for my worldview, I'm going to watch. And if you don't, I'm going to oppose you. Right. I don't care what label you wear. And it may be that you have one person who you may have two bad. You know, a lot of people felt 2016 was two bad options. And so you had to look and you had to say, well, which one aligns more? And I, part of me has wondered if it's a pride issue when you say, and I've been there before, so I could say this. When you say, well, I just don't, I just can't choose either. Like, it's like, you're, is your vote that, is it almost like a worship of a vote? That you're worshiping a vote when you say, I, you know, my vote is just so important. I can't give it over to, you know, Donald Trump because he sent some mean tweets, right? Or I can't give it to Hillary if that's what you believe, you know. Um, I don't know. But I, I, know. I think, again, I think Christians are incredibly um, inconsistent. Uh, to be completely honest, I think we're dishonest. I think we're idolaters, and we put other priorities in front of our Jesus. Mm. So we hyphenate our lives. I'm a Southern American, or I'm a something American. And, and our Jesus priorities, because if we take 2016, we had legitimate, Bible-believing, born-again people in that candidate pool, yes. and we didn't support them. <laughs> it's crazy. If the evangelicals had co- gathered around them, they would have been elected. We did right. not support them. It's and, remarkable. And then we get to the—because I know some of those people yeah. personally— and, I mean, they're better preachers than I am, and their life lines up with it really well. And then we get to these final two choices, and we're going, well, I don't like any of them. I'm like, you didn't like it when you had the choice down here. Right. So, to me, it isn't that simple. We, we've, we've got to get some alignment. Those votes reflect far more about my heart than they do the heart of the candidate. Because candidates, Charlie Daniels is a friend, the country music singer. Yeah. He did a song years ago called Long-Haired Country Boy. I think that's the right song. But in it, he said, a drunkard wants another drink of wine and a politician wants a vote. (laughs) And I promise you, professional politicians want votes. And enough Christians stand up and say, I'll vote for this. We'll have multiple choices for a Christian worldview because politicians want to vote. Absolutely. And it's the inconsistency in our lives. And we're pointing our fingers at politicians. No politician is going to fix the ills that face America. The ills that face America is a heart problem, and we have to have a change in the hearts of those of us that live on Main Street in small-town America. If we'll begin to align ourselves again with a godly worldview and a biblical worldview, we'll get, this is a representative form of government. 
we'll have multiple leaders to choose from that reflect our worldview, in my opinion. And no, and I think that's so true. How, how do you think Christians should react in a culture? Because we know the culture is changing. It's changing very fast. And every day I feel like I see something where I'm like, what is happening? And why, why is that happening? And that wouldn't have happened a year ago. Why is that happening now? How are we to live our faith out in a time when doing so is more difficult than it has been at least in our lifetimes? That's a good question. Well, I think it's, it's, I think it's requiring a new response from us. You know, that old definition of, of insanity is doing the same thing I've always done and expecting a different outcome. What we've been doing has not worked. You know, I smile a bit because my life coincides with the worship renewal and some of the things that we have seen, larger churches, and yet the, the influence of Christianity has declined more precipitously than any time in the last hundred years. So I don't think it's appropriate for us to thump our chest and say, look at what we've done. (laughs) We have presided over decline. So we need a change. And I think we need to humble ourselves and come back to the Lord and say, Lord, we are sorry. We have had incredible convenience and comfort and affluence more than any generation in history. And we've imagined that we've created this ourselves. Forgive us. Mm. We want to honor you. If it means we get pushed to the periphery, if it means my life is less convenient, I want to honor you. We are on a, we're at a tipping point. It only takes three generations for an idea to get lost. King David, the Apostle Paul, Genghis Khan, and my grandfather all used a horse as the fastest means of <laughs> land travel available to them. I doubt there's a hundred people in this building today that if their life depended on it, could harness a team of horses. (laughs) My dad was a vet, so I got a little bit of a head start on that. You know, my grandmother, if she wanted some of Nashville's famous hot chicken, she didn't text Grubhub and wait for the (laughs) delivery. She went out in the backyard into the chicken coop, caught a chicken, wrung its neck, dressed it, fried it, and fed it to the family for dinner. I doubt there's many folks in the building that could duplicate that. Mm. And yet for, for several thousand years, that was normal life. Well, we're at a tipping point, a Christian worldview that has informed this culture. That's been true from our beginning. De Tocqueville and others that visited our nation said that this experiment in self-government will only function when it's held together by the fabric of a Christian worldview. Now, the Christians have to decide if we're going to take our affluence and our convenience and our comfort and sit on our good intentions for a few minutes on Sunday morning, or we're going to have the boldness to say, I'm for Jesus. Mm. And I, I think I, I love the idea because now we're standing. What are we going to do with it? You, yes, you can find hypocrites. You know, the church is not a hall of fame. The church is a hospital. We're all human beings. I mean, that's the thing. I feel like that, you know, I didn't like this person didn't say hi to me in church and that person did. It's like, well, we're human beings. It's not an excuse for bad behavior, but it's an explanation for why it's not perfect. Right? It's not about sloppiness. Right. If you know right and wrong and you're choosing wrong, stop it. It will destroy you. You are not getting away with it. On the other hand, if you're growing up in the Lord and you're learning right and wrong like little kids, Little kids do dumb things. They run with scissors. They'll put their tongue in a light socket. They'll My play four in the year traffic. old finds things to do every day where I'm like, oh, I never thought of that, but please stop. And everything <laughs> goes in their mouth. It's their first means yeah. of experiencing life. Well, if you're still doing that at 40, it's more awkward. 
And we're in that role as Christians. We've got to grow up. We're not condemning others, but I'm also not going to excuse ungodliness. You know, my Bible says that friendship with the world is hatred towards God. It doesn't mean I'm self-righteous and condemning, but I'm growing up and I want to honor the Lord with my life. So if you're being sloppy with your faith, please stop it. It's destructive. You have to have intentional faith. Look at but that. But let's decide every day to honor the Lord more fully. Being healthy, it's a set of decisions every day. I have a picture. When I was 16, I was a healthy motor scooter. I had about 4% body fat. I could run whatever distance you wanted. When I go to the doctor these days, I would like to take that picture and say, here I am. <laughs> but that doesn't help me a bit. He wants to, like, evaluate me now. How disrespectful. <laughs> he wants me to weigh. He wants to take my blood. He wants to ask me what I, I'm eating. And I'm showing my picture. Look, I was healthy. Oh, here I am. <laughs> yes. And in the Christian community, we've got to have the courage to say, am I on purpose being healthy today? And our, our answer, unfortunately, too often has been, I was born again in 1842, <laughs> and I was baptized, and here's the picture, and I'm waiting for Jesus. And I'm grateful for all of those experiences, but I want to invite people to begin to recultivate a desire to honor the Lord in their life, mm. no matter where they are in that continuum. If they couldn't spell God, if we gave them a G and an O, Read the book. I'll help you. I'll sit with you every day for 100 days and have some coffee. If you've been a Christian for 50 years and you're tired of it, you know the sermon ending when I start it. I want to sit with you because together we're both going to grow. I love it. I could talk for three hours with well, you. Come on. This is great. Except you've got 14 other appointments standing behind me. I mean, me. you know, this is how it works here at this, <laughs> this conference. So let, but let me get it. it it's, it's not you. It's not me. It's, it's you. It's not exactly. Yes. It's not you. It's me. I love it. I love it. Well, you have a great personality too, right? This has been, no, I mean. I Face think made for these radio. Are, these, are the, these are the conversations we need to be having though. I mean, this is the stuff people need to be talking about. I feel like there's not enough honesty. And you look at millennials and Generation Z. And it's a, I'm an elderly millennial, so I'm 36, but I'm almost aging out of you it. But antique. it's a, it's a, exactly so elderly. It's a disaster, though, really, when you look at what's happening with younger people. And yeah, there's culture and all that, but the real fix is, and the real problem is that the people who have raised these generations are the problem. And this mm -hmm. is what we're talking about here, right? So I've met the enemy and he's looking at me in the mirror. <laughs> so exactly. And it's all of us. I mean, we can't keep letting culture dictate to us what is true. And I think that Amen. is something that I felt more and more convicted about and finding a loving way to address it that also is truthful, right? And we've got to stop being angry. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's not helpful. we got to find a way because God cares about us even in our brokenness. And if we can receive that, then we can look at other people with mercy. Mm. But it doesn't mean we don't have boundaries. So I know I'm using your time, but I do no, a podcast yeah, every week. Great. Next time you come visit me. Yeah, I would I get, love to I would love to visit the church, actually. Nashville is my favorite city, come on. hands down. And I only get to come here for NRB. And when you so. visit Nashville, you don't have to wear shoes. It's really it's a great deal. It's great. And yeah. there's a lot of music and barbecue. Come on, let's go. So there you go. Thank you so much for coming on. The book comes out March 24th, right? March 24th. It released. They could go out early and pre-order it on Amazon. That would be a personal favor to me. If so go to, to Amazon right now if you're listening and order Intentional Faith. Yes, please. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. That's all for today's podcast. You can follow Pure Flix on Facebook at facebook.com slash pureflix. 
and on Twitter at PureFlix. And be sure to log on today to pureflix.com. Thanks for listening to the Pure Flix Podcast.